I kind of like apolitical trades, trades that don't depend on the Republicans or don't depend on uh, the Democrats in the USA getting into office. You know, I think that's a good place to be. Welcome to Views from the Desk, a special edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. In these timely episodes, we provide the latest investment news and expert commentary on the markets, the economy, and investing. Brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management. Hello, and thanks for joining us today. In previous episodes, Mark Race, Chris Heeks, and Chris McKinney have advocated taking a prudent approach to the current market managing downside risk through the use of our quality and low-volatility ETFs. Now they offer ideas for capturing upside in sectors that benefit from the changing environment, from e-commerce to healthcare, IT, and infrastructure. Before we hear from our experts, please consider subscribing to the BMO ETFs podcast on your preferred podcast player and share it with your friends and colleagues. Hello. I'm your host, Mark Race. I'm the head of product for BMO Game Canada, covering ETFs and mutual funds. I'm joined today by Chris McKinney and Chris Heeks, both portfolio managers on our ETF desk, specializing in equity strategies and options, but with a deeper background across the desk. So thank you, Chris and Chris, for joining us today. Let's dive right into things. Can we start with an update on markets? Coming into today, at least, we've seen further optimism based on clinical trials, although overnight we saw that fade a little bit. But this is a bit puzzling because we've also been told there won't be a vaccine until at least early 2021. Is this market reaction then justified? We've been promoting defensive growth, talking about low volatility and quality investing. And we do think this is you know, still the prudent trade. But if investor wants to add an ETF that will capture some of the themes in the marketplace right now, you know, tech, internet, healthcare, and really companies that may succeed coming out of this crisis and through this crisis, what other exposures would you suggest for them to add? Thanks. Thanks, Mark. And um, yeah, I'll start with the backdrop on the market. You know, like you said, we've seen a lot of positive improvements. You know, we took our, our Monday holiday here in Canada and we came back to, um, you know, a market that was up about three to four percent over our long weekend, you know, mostly driven off positive sentiment around vaccines. COVID cases continue to draw down. Stimulus is still in place. It certainly, um, you know, seems like a positive shift has begun to take hold in the market this week. Another interesting uh, data point was oil, actually, which we talked on, on past calls, has that market has really started to regulate itself. So the June contract closed at $32, which was essentially right in line with the July contract. So that extreme volatility we saw a couple months ago, uh, we didn't see that with the May contract. We didn't see that volatility this time. So things things are certainly getting better. We've been advocating a prudent approach. And, you know, that prudent approach is still overall working. But, you know, we do want to highlight some themes that we're seeing. And no high level, I think the themes that are really working this year, certainly the NASDAQ is an index that can't be ignored. As a reminder, we launched an unhedged NASDAQ. So we have both unhedged and hedged NASDAQ, ZNQ and ZQQ. The ZNQ, you know, outside of gold ETFs, I would think is our leading, you know, certainly our leading broad data ETF up of 14% this year. 
So some some trends that we're really seeing taking hold, certainly e-commerce, uh, the performance of Amazon has been has been huge. AI and cloud computing, so all that kind of you know tech sector certainly been very strong. And healthcare, you know, as you mentioned, has really come along as well too. You know, I think healthcare is an interesting trade because I kind of like apolitical trades, trades that you know don't depend on the Republicans or don't depend on uh, the Democrats in the USA getting into office. You know, I think healthcare right now is pretty apolitical. You know, Biden is not kind of a rock the boat kind of contender when it comes to healthcare from a political perspective, and, and, and certainly Trump is pro-business, you know, as we all know. So I think it's a sector that, again, we've talked about the demographics, you know, that's really starting to come into play. You know, obviously COVID is, is creating a lot of innovation in the sector and demand for healthcare services. So healthcare is ZHU and ZUH, unhedged and hedged. You know, I think that's a good place to be. You know, in terms of our low volatility and quality, remember quality is actually picking up a lot of this exposure. So the quality is actually doing very well. The ZUQ, it's about 45% IT and about, I believe, close to 20% healthcare. So almost two thirds of this, what's really in trend. So the quality side is doing very well. The low volatility side is essentially in line with the market. So low vol down 3% year to date, whereas the market's down 2% in Canadian terms. And I think that's a pretty good accomplishment considering lowball actually has a zero weight in healthcare. So I certainly feeling good about, you know, the, the shift in tone. I still think it's prudent to have, you know, an exposure in your bucket that can, you know, benefit from growth as well as protect against potential downsides. So I still think lowball and quality offer a really good pair and are outperforming the market as a combo year to date. But yet yeah, those other exposures certainly look at the NASDAQ look at healthcare as satellites that can really take advantage of this growth trend that we're seeing. Those are, you know, a couple, couple additions that could, um, could add some value to investors' portfolios. All right. Thank you, Chris. I think that's a good way to look at things. Prudent growth, but certainly adding something in the portfolio that maybe captures some of that upside if, if markets continue to rebound as, as they've been doing. I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about two new ETFs that we brought out at the beginning of the year particularly now that we've seen some market turbulence, obviously the downturn in March, but the subsequent recovery through April and May. I want to talk about these strategies and, and how they perform through that. So let's start out with premium yield, uh, ticker ZPay. For those looking for, let's call it an income-oriented alternative, has this ETF performed as you would have expected? You know, as a comparison point, how about up against uh, ZSP, the, the S&P 500? And just touch on the portfolio construction. And what I find most interesting about it is this concept that it's a dynamic strategy. So, you know, you're adding equity exposure when markets sell off and dropping equity exposure as equities pick up. So if you can give us uh, a few speaking points on how this ETF is done out of the gates. Thank you. Sure, Mark. And, you know, it really has performed as we, we hoped it would when, when this fund was launched and how we structured it. You know, we spent the better part of two years building out this fund before it was launched in terms of, of how it would look, what it would invest in and, and what the parameters would be. And it, it's actually performed very, very well. We didn't expect it to 
hit a crisis so soon after launch, but uh, it's good to see that it, it has been performing as expected. And, and just to your first question, you know, looking at it relative to the S&P 500 is really a more conservative way to play the equity market. So it's not fully invested in equities like, like a pure equity fund would be. And so it's a little bit more conservative in its approach and is trying to generate cash flow through the options market as its primary source of return. And so when we did enter the sell-off in March, you know, this fund was underinvested relative to equity funds. And so, you know, depending on what time period you're looking at, with the S&P down, you know, 15, 20%, even more in some spots, um, you know, ZPay was down about half that, maybe even a little bit less than half entering the sell-off. And so you, you didn't get as much downside um, exposure. Now, as you say, what we're doing is investing partially in equities. And for the most part, what we want to do is generate cash flow yield through through the options market. And so what I would do on a normal, let's call it normal market environment, is I'll, I'll invest about a third of my assets into direct equities. But I'm going to take the rest of those assets and put them in T-bills to collateralize put options. And so what I'll do is I'll sell put options on specific stocks and, you know, choosing the right stocks is very important here. You know, using that quality theme that we've talked about quite a bit on these calls and even Chris was alluding to in the previous question, you know, finding those right equities to, to say, I'm going to sell a put option on that. What happens when you sell a put option is you, you generate cash flow. You get a premium for selling that put option. But it puts an obligation on you as the investor to buy that stock at that lower strike price, whatever that strike price is you've selected. And so what we're doing here is we're selecting stock that we think, okay, yeah, I would like this stock and I would buy more of it um, if it sold off 10, 15% from where we are today. And so through the market sell-off in March, that's exactly what we did. As I said, we, we entered the sell-off under-invested relative to equity funds. And as the market sold off and those put options go in the money, our equity weight built up and it actually got, um, you know, I mentioned it was about one third um, entering the sell-off. It got up to about 70%, which is actually quite high for, for this fund. And through the market rebound in April and May, that higher equity weight has paid off for us. So as I mentioned, we had about 50% of the downside of the S&P 500 through March. Um, through this recovery through April and May, we've actually captured about 75% of the upside. And so having that nice trade-off, less downside, more upside, has served this fund very well. Again, because of the, that dynamic uh, allocation between equities and, and T-bills. And so as the market has rallied here, what we do with the equities that we do hold is we sell call options on the upside to generate even more premium. This is something that all of our covered call investors would be very familiar with, selling those call options to trade away some potential side for cash flow today. And what that has an effect of doing, in the same way that put options as they go in the money will naturally increase our equity weight, as the market rallies and these call options go in the money, um, our stock gets called away and the equity weight naturally comes back down. So again, as markets go down, equity weight goes up. As markets go up, equity weight comes back down. And we're actually now down to about 50% equity weight in this fund. Um, during normal market environments, all we're really doing is having a little bit of equity exposure and we're generating significant cash flow from all these options activities that we're doing. You know, this fund is paying out about 6% in a monthly distribution right now. 
And it's also a very tax-effective distribution because it's taxed as capital gains. So if you look at this, particularly in taxable accounts, uh, we think this strategy makes a lot of sense for investors right now that might want to have some allocation to the equity markets. You know, people might be concerned about what the next six to 12 months is going to look like and is there more downside than upside. And so maybe don't want to be fully invested in equities, but want to have a foot in the door, so to speak. Uh, we think this strategy makes a lot of sense. Again, you know, tax effective cash flow, a six percent capital gain distribution on an after tax basis um, is equivalent to a nine percent interest coupon. Just to put that in perspective, again on an after tax basis, so very very tax effective cash flow monthly distribution with some allocation to equities that, as we said, will dynamically adjust as markets move up and down. You are listening to Views from the Desk, a special edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. For more details on ZPay, also known as the BMO Premium Yield ETF, check out our new Deep Dive episodes, where we take you under the hood of the most popular ETFs and provide valuable talking points for your client conversations. Thanks for that, Chris. Appreciate uh, you walking us through that strategy, and, and good to hear it's acting as we would expect it to act. So quite a valuable tool to have. You know, when I look at it relative to the S&P 500, I'm certainly seeing, you know, an eight, nine percent outperformance since its launch. You know, obviously a, a tough time through March for the S&P 500, but still good to see that the strategy is, is performing as expected. So I'd like to turn to another ETF that we launched earlier this year, this time on the fixed income side which would be the Canadian mortgage-backed security ETF, ZMBS. So this is the first ETF launched of its kind in Canada. So I think it's potentially a, a new asset class for, for a lot of advisors looking at it. How is this ETF fared compared to government bonds or even provincial bonds, federal or provincial bonds, if you think about the yield pickup? How do you see advisors using this ETF in portfolios, particularly as cash and ultra short, we anticipate getting getting certainly challenged in terms of yield. And I'll give that over to Chris Heeks. Thanks. Yeah, thanks, Mark. And um, yeah, it's, it's a pretty new asset class for our space for DTF or really the fund industry in general. Certainly, that, that's created an opportunity and there is a yield pickup associated with mortgage-backed securities that I think is pretty interesting. So just take a quick step back. These are all AAA rated fully guaranteed by the Canadian government's mortgage-backed security pools. Key to differentiate this versus, you know, kind of the U.S. mortgage-backed arena of, of what we saw in this kind of the credit crisis. These, these are, again, are fully guaranteed. They didn't, you know, have to become, they will not have to become guaranteed if there's any problems. They're guaranteed right now. So because they are guaranteed by the Canadian government, it's a AAA rated product. It's a two duration as it's fairly short in term. You know, most mortgages are on kind of a, you know, a variable to five year payment schedule. So it's a, it has a duration of two. So if you stack it up versus kind of some of the other options in the space, uh, there's short federals. That's a triple A exposure of Canadian uh, treasury bonds. The yield to maturity on short federals right now is 39 basis points. And again, the yield on um, the mortgage backed is 70 basis points. So for the effectively the same credit risk and essentially the same duration, actually the mortgage-backed is a half year lower in duration, but call it equivalently the same exposure, getting 
30 basis points more yield. And that, that 30 basis points is actually about 40% more yield. So, you know, in the short, short yield space, it's a substantial uh, pickup. You know, even it's pretty interesting. You look at short provincials, which we have the ZPS. The, uh, the yield to maturity on those is 66 basis points. So again, with the mortgage back at 70, there's even a premium to short provincials. And those provincial bonds, you know, I, I you know, I don't think there's much. I would have bet on default risk in provincials, but they are a double A rated security. So again, we're getting up 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 market credit quality with a higher yield. So you know, I, I think it's pretty interesting from you know like a cash cash uh, perspective. Um, even versus, you know, kind of a, a money market strategy. Now, obviously, money markets have the stable nav. This one with a duration of two, there's very, very small amounts of fluctuation. But, you know, you're getting significant pickups to, to, to money markets, which are generally A-rated. You're getting yield pickups to all these kind of short-term suite of options, getting a yield pickup with top-shelf credit quality. So I think that's the attraction of it. It's a, you know, there's a pretty solid liquidity profile behind these um, because of the exposure on the institutional level. We're able to source these bonds at, you know, very effective levels. So from end client trading experience, it's going to be pretty seamless. You know, I, just in preparation for the call, I took a look at the bid ask from yesterday. The, the bid of the security actually didn't move all day long. You know, the ask of the security fluctuated by only one penny throughout the whole day. So it's you know, it's a pretty stable experience due to the underlying exposure. And, uh, and and lastly, it's very competitively priced. So it's 15 basis points fee. And, you know, I think we have to be very careful with fees. When we're talking about low, you know, interest rate fixed income environment, you know, obviously it's a very fee sensitive um, arena. So, you know, I think it's a pretty compelling value proposition for, you know, a, a cash holding, uh, you know, a short-term fixed income, or even potentially taking a little bit of risk to improve on a money market return. I think it's, I think it's something pretty solid. You can, um, you can stash away on the cash side of your portfolio, perhaps as you're looking for, for entry points on, on other assets or, or even as a long-term holding. So I think it's an attractive exposure at that 30 basis point yield pickup to federals. All right. Thank you, Chris. I think it's quite interesting new ETFs. Uh, speaks in the benefit of ETFs once again, that you're able to get something, trade on the exchange that you know, you're know you not used to necessarily having in your portfolio. And then the second thing I think about is you know, the Canadian MBS is, is quite different than the drama that played out in the U.S. over the uh, 2008 crisis. And as you mentioned, you know these are government-backed by CMHC. So you get that AAA rating on the portfolio, which is, of course, critical when you're looking for a defensive investment. I want to ask one more question before we go to the lines. Uh, we've had a number of questions coming in about preferred shares. And, of course, we've got uh, the very popular ZPR, Preferred Share ETF here for Canadian Laddered Rate Resets. Now, we know that preferred shares have been a popular advisor tool, highly tax-efficient, of course, higher yield, and you know they can be treated somewhat as an alternative because they sit between equity and fixed income due to their capital structure. But at the same time, total ret- returns have have underwhelmed. So, what is your outlook for this asset class, and how do you recommend advisors use ZPR in a portfolio? I'll give that one to Chris McCainy, please. Thanks, Mark, and you know, certainly um, you know preferred shares. 
very attractive investment or very popular investment vehicle um, over the last number of years. To your point, very strong in terms of portfolio diversification, not quite fixed income, not quite equities. And so having that you know, lower correlation to both of those asset classes creates a much more efficient portfolio overall. Um, you know, as, as you say, total returns have been quite challenged, especially over the last six months to, to one year. Just as a bit of a review on ZPR in particular, what, what we're doing in that fund is we're holding rate resets for preferred shares. Um, so think of this as a bond that resets its coupon every five years based on a, a predefined spread. And so you have this somewhat floating element in the portfolio in terms of the yield you receive. Now we ladder out those uh, those reset dates. And so about 20% of the portfolio resets every year um, throughout the next five years or so. And so you're not too overexposed to any one-year rate reset. It's laddered out over the five years. And so, you know, when preferred shares, uh, when there are times of stress, Preferred shares might see spread widening and so, you know, sell off. Um, but funds such as this one also might be hit by the fact that generally in times of stress, interest rates go down. And so as a rate reset vehicle, there could potentially be further selling pressure based on the fact that eventually rates in this portfolio are going are gonna to come down. Now, again, as I mentioned, it doesn't happen all at once. It does play out over over several years. And so, you know, just for example... In 2020, we've seen about half the portfolio already be reset and moved out to 20.5, and you have a good portion of the portfolio that is still not resetting for several years. Certainly, again, there has been a a strong sell-off. Total returns have not been great for investors that that have held it in the past, but looking in this space right now where we are on a go-forward basis, you have a very attractive portfolio in terms of yield generation. And again, I'm going to go back to tax-effective yield as well. Obviously, preferred shares pay out dividends. And so a very high dividend payment coming out of this portfolio, a little over, actually, well over 6% right now, 6.5% approximately. Um, again, all taxes dividends. So to income-oriented investors, um, investors that may you know, be willing to accept a little bit of volatility in that principle and are just clipping those just taking those those monthly distributions as income on an after tax basis very very effective in terms of providing that cash flow for income oriented investors you know we did see uh, a similar scenario play out several years ago back in 2015 um i guess 2014 2015 uh when bank of canada actually surprisingly cut interest rates that kind of came out of nowhere at the time Certainly, there was oil-related sell-off to some degree as well, but, uh, you know, kind of surprised the market with interest rate cuts, and we did see ZPR sell-off significantly then as well. You know, again, as I alluded to, the fact that rates will be coming down, distributions will be coming down potentially over time. Uh, And so, you know, during that time period, it's certainly a very strong sell-off, but it, it also created a very strong buying opportunity at the time because over the next two years, as rates stabilized and then even uh, indeed did start increasing in 2017, you know, you saw an over 30% upside in ZPR in terms of total return. So very, very strong upside as rates stabilized after being cut. And so, you know, I wouldn't suggest right now that there's a 30% upside, but 
Um, historically, it does kind of show that, you know, after rates have been cut and significantly to the degree they have been here in, in Canada, it is potentially a very good time to get into the preferred share market, A, because those yields are so high right now, but also potentially some upside potential coming as rates stabilize. Um, you know, just looking at the portfolio right now, you know, I did mention about a 6.5% distribution rate. You know, again, slowly over time, as these coupons reset on these preferred shares, that distribution will come down. But even looking at today's Bank of Canada five-year, which is actually under 50 basis points right now, um, I think the lowest it's ever been, even if the entire portfolio reset to today's Bank of Canada five-year rate um, with existing you know, spread over that rate, the portfolio would be yielding still over 5% on a tax-effective basis because they're all dividends. Kind of thinking of it, of it as a worst-case scenario of a 5% yield um, over the next several years, you know, actually getting paid much more than that as, as it will take years for, for these rates to, to reset lower. And potentially, um, the next couple of years out, even seeing rates potentially going up again, depending on, of course, the strength of the recovery coming out of the slowdown here. So, you know, we think certainly for income-oriented investors that can take a little bit of volatility in their underlying principal, preferred shares are a great place to be right now. For investors looking for potential pickup as well and willing to play that out over a couple of years with capital growth potentially over the next few years, we think that that makes a lot of sense too. Uh, we just think you have to have a little bit longer time horizon for rates to stabilize and for um, the market to get back under itself. All right. Thanks for those insights, Chris. At this point, I would like to check if there are any questions on the line. Hi, Chris and Chris. It's John Nargozi here. Thanks for taking my question. I just wanted to know how you guys feel about the infrastructure play right now. Um, and also, why buy BMO's ZGI ETF instead of other infrastructure ETFs? Thanks, John. I'll uh, jump in on that one. I think infrastructure is, you know, a really good play right now. I mentioned it with the healthcare, you know, liking apolitical trade ideas, you know, not dependent on a party. Infrastructure is another one that I think is right under that bucket. You know, if there's one thing everyone can agree on, it's the need for infrastructure, you know, and it's a really a global need. It's like an everywhere need. So demand is huge. You know, I think it's going to be a target of stimulus. So as this is going to be a historic year for stimulus, um, you know, I think infrastructure is going to be, you know, a target of some portion of that stimulus. You know, our infrastructure is also, again, it's on that defensive theme, which, you know, we think is, is nice having the portfolio. It's going to give you a lower correlation to broad indexes. So it's a great diversifier, great portfolio completion uh, tool. One kind of hidden gem in our infrastructure product is almost 30% of it is in the cell tower subsector, so cell tower REITs. And, you know, this is really grown like substantially over the last few years like that sector used to be kind of 18 percent now it's gone up to 30 when you're looking at etfs it's always nice to look under the hood and you know really kind of do that deep dive and this is one of those areas where you do that deep dive like that is just a great sector to be in obviously with 5g you know kind of on the just the prelim rollout phase i think cell towers is, is a great exposure that you know it's just a nice little feather in the cap of the portfolio as well but you know, I really like infrastructure for, you know, again, a completion sleep of the portfolio. I think it's got a, it's got a great uh, outlook. Christian here. I uh, just wanted to ask a quick question here. With the Fed's recent buying of uh, ETS kind of increasing demand, should we see prices go up from here? Thank you. 
Maybe I'll take that one. Um, you know, the Fed uh, obviously buying corporate bonds and buying ETFs that that hold corporate bonds or that invest in corporate bonds. You know, really the Fed's reasoning behind this is to stabilize the market. And you know, we saw some dislocation in, in the corporate bond market in uh, uh, in March during during the uh, equity market sell-off as well. And really what they're really trying to, to do is improve liquidity in the space. And so if there's a seller, you know, make sure there's some buyers there and that the market doesn't go no bid and, and you know, no one can unload their corporate bonds, especially those of higher rated companies that really shouldn't be coming under any stress. And so, you know, you've actually seen through regulation over the last several years, investment banks you know, dialing back their bond exposure. And so they're actually less able to provide that liquidity when when there is market stress, partially due to regulatory constraints. And so the Fed is is viewing itself as kind of filling that role of providing liquidity to investors. Now, they're pretty strict in terms of um, how they're buying, um, you know, the price they're paying when they're buying. So you know, I wouldn't necessarily expect to see prices rally from here. Certainly, if bond prices rally to the to the extent that the Fed deems them overvalued, they're, they're certainly going to slow down their, their, their bond buying program. And we actually saw that in one ETF in the U.S., LQD, the investment grade uh, corporate bond ETF, you know, it was trading at 5% discounts in March, 5% discounts in NAV. And then when the Fed announced that they would eventually be buying ETFs, the very next day it traded at a 5% premium to NAV based on this this assumption that the Fed is just going to start raising prices through their bond buying program. But you know, that that premium very quickly went away as investors realized, I think, you know, the Fed obviously the long time horizon can be a little bit more picky in, in terms of the prices they pay. And they're not just going to flood the market with uh, with bond buying and, and, and driving prices up um, just for the sake of doing it. So I, I wouldn't expect, you know, prices necessarily to rally based on the Fed buying. Um, but what you could see is a little bit of spread compression uh, based on the fact that, you know, liquidity risks are seen as being somewhat uh, lower now. And so, again, it's really about the liquidity and the functioning of the market, those buying and selling back and forth, um, making sure that that runs as smooth as possible. And then allowing the banks to free up as much capital as they can to, to stand in and provide liquidity elsewhere where they need to. So certainly helpful of the market, potentially some reduction in, in, in spreads. But overall, I, I wouldn't expect a huge uplift in, in prices from here. To me, now it's more of a, you know, the Fed's there to provide financial stability. You know, that's one of their mandates. And you know, I think it's an acknowledgement that, you know, what we saw in March was really I don't want to say a dysfunctioning market, but a, a market where there's a lot of challenges and obviously a lot of improvements to be had. Less so from uh, are they going to drive prices through the roof? You know, I don't think that's their mandate, but, you know, is their mandate to somewhat stop gap, you know, a negative moving credit? I think that is their mandate. So, you know, the quote unquote Fed put, we've more associated with equities over the year. You know, I think there's a little bit of that Fed put on the investment grade side as well and, and the high yield side as well. So I, I think there's some support there. All right. Thanks, Chris and Chris. Uh, appreciate those extra responses. I think when you think about the the Fed's activity and even the Bank of Canada, you know what they're really trying to do is just close out that liquidity discount that's been in play in the markets as as people were looking to sell what they could to rebalance portfolios, particularly when equities were turning downwards. 
So with that, I'd like to thank everyone for taking the time to join us this morning. We appreciate both your time and your questions. I'd like to thank Chris and Chris for your insights, uh, your trade ideas, and your updates on the ETF marketplace. So once again, thank you very much to, to all for joining. Stay healthy, be well, and have a good day. Thank you to Mark Race, Chris McKinney, and Chris Heeks for joining us on the BMO ETFs podcast. Today, we heard about various growth-oriented sleeves you can add to your client portfolios. You can learn more about our healthcare, technology, and infrastructure exposures in the episode notes below or by contacting your regional BMO ETF specialist. To stay tuned for future episodes, please hit the subscribe button wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you have any questions you'd like addressed in future episodes, please send them to Andrew Vachon, A-N-D-R-E-W dot V-A-C-H-O-N at BMO.com. The viewpoints expressed by the portfolio manager represent their assessment of the markets at the time of publication. Those views are subject to change without notice at any time without any kind of notice. The information contained herein is not and should not be construed as investment tax or legal advice to any party. Investment should be evaluated relative to the individual's investment objectives and professional advice should be obtained with respect to any circumstance. Any statements that necessarily depend on future events may be a forward-looking statement. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of performance. Views from the Desk has been brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management.